Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today, we're talking about Dead Space. Developed by EA Redwood Shores and published by Electronic Arts, it was released for PS3, Xbox 360, and Windows way back in 2008, or almost 14 years to the day of this recording. So just a heads up, we'll be talking spoilers if you're sensitive to that, and I believe, Clint, it was you who brought this onto our radars, you know, with an impending remake and uh, lots of interesting history behind this game. Uh, This was uh, your brainchild to, to bring to the cast, yeah? For sure. I've been playing this game since 2008, probably annually. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so, this is one of my favorite games. Uh, I was super excited to get everybody else to try it since you guys hadn't tried it before. So, Yeah, it, I played it like um, maybe like the first hour of it a long, long time ago. And like there's a couple things that stuck with me about it, and they are still the things that I think stick out most to me now. But um, suffice to say, this is my first full run through the game. And... Um, this is such an interesting historical artifact for what action shooters and horror games would become over the course of, of the years, but it's a pretty fascinating title, and I'm really excited to see where they take it with a remake in 2023, yeah? Yeah, for sure. Was this one of the first kind of like space horror games, or at least one of the first big ones? To my mind, well, okay, isn't System Shock kind of like space horror a little bit? You can make an argument for that. Yeah, this was one of definitely one of the first big ones, and then I think after this, you saw things like Alien: Isolation that was pretty popular, and a couple others. The other thing that comes to mind for me is Doom Three, which was just oh, a couple years point. before this one. Yeah, I don't know if I count that as horror at all, though, because you're just—it's like insane run and gun. I guess in Doom Three, they kind of tried to shoot more towards horror. Yeah, they brought they um, levered back the the action in Doom Three quite a bit. I, it, for my money, it's a little more of a horror, but you know we're we're getting into genre pedantry, so I guess we can uh, <laughs> we can. I mean, we got a couple hours. We could talk about genre pedantry. <laughs> That's where we always end up talking or end up going eventually. Anyway, roguelite roguelite horror uh, shooter blah blah blah. Um. Hey, this uh, this this title blurs the lines. It's a juxtaposition. That is a Brian word nice. well of, of many <laughs> genres, and that's why I think it's worth talking about. I, I agree. But Clint, what are your thoughts on dichotomies? Dichotomies. <laughs> that's right. I, I'm neither for nor against. Uh. <laughs> well, I think it's worth. Um, maybe setting this this up but you know um we, we've set up before you you asked josh if this is the first sort of space horror um uh who knows uh, there's probably lots of space horrors out there but this to me was like a heavy alien influence here right like this is clearly like heavily influenced by things like event horizon and alien and things like that and i um i clock that immediately you know sort of a industrial space station vibe yeah, and I liked how everything was like rusted and old. It, it, there, there was a time when sci-fi was seen as like all these new, bright, shiny things. And then you're right with things like Alien, it was old and rustic and broken down, and that was like the space vibe. And I definitely caught that on this big time. And I think Brian makes a good point too about um, even if maybe this was uh, the first or one of the first space horror video games, but certainly not the first like space horror sci-fi, a very rich uh, genre over there. Oh yeah, totally. Sure. Um, so maybe we talk about this game's origins a bit before we dive into a bit more detail. Um, so as I said up top, created by uh, Redwood Shores, EA Redwood Shores, uh, originally by 
one Glenn Schofield, who is sort of the series um, progenitor. And he wanted to create the most frightening horror game possible and decided to basically say, all right, let's do Resident Evil crossed with Silent Hill. And anybody who's familiar with horror is like, hell yeah, that sounds great. But then Resident Evil 4 came out and they were like, never mind, hard pivot to something more action oriented. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was okay. So I would say that that's its biggest contemporary. And and Brian, I know we wanted to like avoid some like comparisons in the cast, but it needs to it needs to happen. Yeah, Resident Evil Four was huge. I mean, it's probably one of, if it's not one of the biggest games of all time, it is definitely the biggest survival horror game of all time. It's been re released on everything, mm-hmm. everything. And um, yet I still haven't GameCube. played it. What's wrong with me? That's crazy. <laughs> you have an Oculus now. What are you doing? That's the best way to play it. Yeah. Oh man, that'd be that'd be interesting. I know we've talked about this and like, do I play the uh, PC port first or do I play the Oculus port first? And I mean, I'll I'll have to do it at some point. One or both. I think you you would have one of the rarest opinions on the planet if you played the Oculus version first because nobody <laughs> else did that. <laughs> yeah. This this is true. Um. So I'll keep that in mind. But hey, it's spooky season, so maybe I should jump yeah. in there. Um, so to my mind, like, I think this is a super fast paced horror game compared to pretty much every horror game I've ever played. And so if that was on the, the mission statement, uh, docket, then, uh, kudos, they, they definitely succeeded in making a very action heavy horror game. I think that was the whole point. Like so many of these games before, and I know we're going to talk about it down, down in the cast here, so I won't get too heavily in, but like there are all these tropes, things that they had to do all the time. They had to slow things down. They had to. Um, control what you could see and when or really limit your movement to feel like they could scare you and dead space was like no we can give you full control of the scare uh, of the character and still scare the shit out of you we guarantee it and they can do it even with fast pace and i won't call it guns blazing like you're still pretty limited on ammo but they can still make it tense even when there's lots of action going on they totally can um and i think like to your point, you're not exactly running into a room with an assault rifle and just like gunning people down. Every every move has to be calculated um, because of a very specific mechanic that, that we're going to bring up in, in a minute. But before we do that, maybe we should set the stage, right? Let's do a quick um, summary of the, the setting of Dead Space and, and what we're getting ourselves into, yeah? Sure. Uh, basically, you are going to the USG Ishimura. You are a small rescue team. You're uh, um, Isaac Clark, who's an engineer, not a, even remotely trained for combat situations. Your girlfriend is on the mining rig, so you go because, like, why not go see your girlfriend? Turns out the entire thing has been overrun by um, space zombies, to say. <laughs> to, <laughs> to, yes. to, to, over, to oversimplify, basically everybody's turned into these things called necromorphs that um, grow blades for limbs and I don't even know what else. Yeah, they're like weirdly indestructible. They look like zombies except more like spiny and dangerous. And, and aggressive. Uh, and ag- very Yeah, very aggressive. Um, so yeah, a couple quick things to add. You sign up for this mission because, as you mentioned, your girlfriend Nicole, and it is specifically a rescue mission. Like there's shit going wrong on the Ishimura a long-tenured spaceship, a.k.a. a planet cracker, um, which basically is the job of these ships is to go around the the galaxy and mine planets, basically strip mine planets. And this is set 500 years in the future to the date of of the launch, basically, uh, 2508. Uh, And um, so Earth is in a bad spot, but we can still strip mine the shit out of other planets. And we have to, because <laughs> I, as I understand it from the lore, there's not much left to strip mine off of the Earth, because mm-hmm. it's basically out of stuff. Yep. 
So uh, humanity expanding. Katamari came around and just rolled all the stuff up. Yeah, yeah actually, stuff. sort of deeply like end state capitalist um, scenario we're dealing with here. Like the extraction has perpetuated long enough into the future that we destroyed the Earth, and now we're going to do it to the rest of the galaxy. Hooray. <laughs> and then if you read further deeper into it, there's two main factions at play here. There's EarthGov, I guess three, the major corporation CEC that does all this stuff. And then there's also this cult called Unitology that are basically mm-hmm. the three main powers at play here. And something to do, I mean, we won't spoil it too far, but something to do with the Necromorphs and what causes that is a heavy tie into the Unitology cult and all this stuff too. So you see all these like groups come at bay with each other throughout this whole thing. Well, you'll get into the story later later on, which you get into pretty much immediately in the game is the combat. Now, I think it was interesting you guys were talking about this as a very fast-paced horror game, survival horror game. Um, I kind of came at it almost like it's an action game and a kind of like slower action game um, because I think one of the one of the interesting design choices they made is that Isaac, the guy you play, you know, he's an engineer. He's not a soldier or anything like that. Um, But he turns very slowly. (laughs) I think it was a very deliberate decision to heighten the tension. And I think that worked great because when you hear something, you can't just snap, look behind you and see what's there. You got to slowly turn the camera to see what's going on there. So if you look at his rig, the dude looks like he weighs about three tons. That giant freaking suit he wears that's supposed to be taken out into space. So that does make sense. Yeah, he's basically a human bulldozer. Like he is, <laughs> yeah. we didn't mention the rig up top, but the resource integration gear or rig uh, is something every character in the game has. But Isaacs is the engineer grade version of it. And it is a, it's basically the Iron Man suit, like Mark one, the one he made in the desert. (laughs) I would like to bring up off the top that this was one of the most innovative design decisions they made right here. Um, The whole no HUD thing. So this was very much not a thing in 2008. So instead of a health bar, you have an indicator on the back of your rig that shows how much health you have when you want to see how much ammo you have. You don't see it until he pulls up his weapon and there's like a little heads up display above his weapon like these are little things that keep the screen clean so that you can see all kinds of uh spooky shit instead even the things like the menu system uh, or the map uh the map would be pulled up and it gets pulled up in front of isaac and you can like rotate this holographic map in front of him to take a look around um but you know it's not you looking at the map it's isaac in the world looking at the map I thought this was like probably the the thing the the game did the best, and I think it still has done it better than almost every game we've seen to date. To be honest, like the no the fully diegetic UI in game where you can still sort of move around, as you said, Josh, when you're looking at the inventory with the map, it's all being projected right out of the front of his visor, so that it it has a reason for being there. It's not just full AR, but it's sort of aliens level diegetic AR. It's really yeah. interesting and good. And they even um, do this for like a very low level hint system with the guideline, the R3 button, which is something an engineer or a person who arrived on a ship would have, right? Like, where do I need to go for my job? Oh, let me just follow the guideline. And I used the shit out of that thing. Yeah, that was awesome. What Again. was this feature? What? Oh, Did no. you not use this? <laughs> oh, shit. No, hang on. I knew on the map I could follow the line there. So if you press R3, basically Isaac will put his palm down 
and project a line onto the floor, which then will show you where your next objective is. So you can sort of use that to go through the, the hallways, which was really helpful because this is a space station and it's industrial. Um, so it doesn't have a ton of landmarks. It is very much a lot of samey industrial looking corridors. So this was a very key feature for me for getting around. Ah. <laughs> I also felt like it cut down on the backtracking. Like it kept you very focused on mission, which kept the scares coming. Like it helped the pacing of the game a lot. I feel like it wasn't like a lot of guessing, like where do I go next? It kept it very focused. It did. Um, it, it, and I needed it, like, like I said, because of the samey corridors and sort of getting lost uh, in a 3D space, which is kind of, you know, not easy to navigate. As you said, Josh, Isaac turns slowly. He kind of controls like a truck. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think that's, to me, what sort of differentiates this from, a like, a, as you said, Josh, a slow action game and it more back into sort of this tension and horror because you're not set up to to run action. You're set up to sort of make strategic decisions and hope for the best they work out for you before you get rushed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude's an engineer, not not a soldier by, by any means. Um, it is funny that you mentioned that because, again, the other contemporary here was Resident Evil 4. In Resident Evil 4, you could... Um, you could not aim and shoot at the same time. You would have to stop, stop and pop, and then shoot. But they did have a quick turnaround. If you hit back and B, it was like a quick like 180 like turnaround. So I guess there's like a a give and take with that. I think Dead Space did it better in this situation where they gave you full control. But I guess it can go either way. And there's a specific way in which you know I didn't play RE4, but there's a specific thing that I think Dead Space does that makes it head and shoulders above a lot of contemporaries, and again, like still seems unique to me to this day. And that's the strategic dismemberment aspect. Hmm. The first weapon you get is a cutter, which makes sense. You're an engineer; you have a cutting tool. And in this game, the only way to defeat the necromorphs is not as you would typically dismember a or uh, dispatch a zombie with a headshot it is with anything but a headshot you need to chop off an arm chop off a leg uh, chopping off legs is basically your primary verb in this game <laughs> I, I, dude this was so ahead of its time so the way this works is you knock off a limb and then the enemy changes how they go after you so you're right brian the first thing if you're smart the first thing you're doing is taking off their legs and then all of a sudden they're out of legs but they're not stopping they're they're like clawing their way over to rip you apart and then you have to actively try to change the direction of your cutter so you can slice off an arm instead. Mm -hmm. And then you have to stomp the shit out of them if they make it over to you. It's like very, God, it's it's insane. It, it's, it's like, I, the tension is so high. You know, you're sort of doing a triage situation. Like, all right, who's coming at me the fastest? Take out their legs real quick. Turn around, find the next guy. Take out their, you know, mode of, of transportation. It's not always legs, mind you. Um, but there's a few things to me that made this work, um, especially developing tech at the time uh, one havoc physics just happened so you take out a leg it's actually hmm. able to react in real time and then all of a sudden they're trying to like make their way with an arm or an arm and you know an arm and a leg rather than uh, two of each and um, two I think this isn't really just like this isn't just a gimmick it wasn't like something done purely for showing off the havoc physics tech it is basically the best idea in this whole game for my money um, they, they work mm -hmm. it into every combat scenario Sometimes it can be um, a bit frustrating. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's really tension-filled. But, you know, this is a game that's trying to play with your emotions and get a rise out of you. And believe me, it did that for me. Uh, probably not to my enjoyment ultimately <laughs> at all times, but um, it got the job done. I would say you're not always supposed to enjoy survival horror in the midst of it. It's supposed to be a relief when it's done, but you look back on it and you're like, okay, that was cool. 
But but you're right. The, the combat system was extremely tense. I just like that they were able to pull it off and make it scary, not stupid. Like, there's so many ways this could have gone. You knock off a limb. It's like hopping over to you. It wasn't like that at all. Like, every moment was, and all the animation was done super tight, and it was very tense the whole time. They did a good job. With a lot of their enemies, too, they did have a sort of proximity thing going on where, uh, you know, even like the basic goon guy, the slasher, um, when he's far away from you, he's up there with his arms up in the air, you know, making good targets for your cutter so you can try to take him out over there. But when he gets within a certain distance of you, he barrels down and starts charging. And that's when you got to react a lot quicker. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So we um, have talked a bit about the, the the cutter, sort of your main weapon, the plasma cutter, which um, is not only, for, for my uh, perspective, the best weapon in this game, but one of the better weapons in, in shooter video games, period. It's very satisfying. Um, but we should talk a little bit more about the, the weapons and, and the other things you can do in this game besides just cut limbs off with the plasma cutter. Because you can cut the limbs off with lots of things. I'll start off with my favorite gun and the whole thing, the line gun. It's the plasma cutter, but bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, you guys could almost just stop it at, at the plasma cutter. I think 99% of the guns that I use, in, at least in Dead Space 1, is just the plasma cutter. You can do the whole game with it. There are special use cases for all of them, but I think that one was what the whole thing was designed around for sure. Well, that's, I think... The plasma cutter and doing the strategic dismemberment is the one thing that I remembered from my first playthrough of this game back in like 2011 or something like that. So, uh, and again, I only play like a little bit of time and I think I got too scared and, and, and stopped. <laughs> um, but yeah, to your point, Clint, you can pretty much play this game just with the plasma cutter. Like you are able to just fully upgrade that thing and it can be your primary and basically only weapon. Um, but to, as Josh said, there's other fun guns to use. I personally use the uh, plasma cutter primarily, and then the pulse rifle and the line gun. Those were the two that I I played with. Those were my main three too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I venture outside of plasma cutter, that pulse rifle got a lot of good uses. And actually, once you start upgrading it, it can be pretty good at pulling them apart too. Um, we didn't even talk about uh, their stasis and kinesis too. Two things that also work work very well, and the uh, and I guess you didn't use it as much as some other people, Brian, but the uh, the melee and the stomping make it so much more visceral and, uh, I don't know. That's the developer's it like, name. <laughs> it like, it, it like <laughs> amps it up to a whole other level. So all this dismemberment stuff, too. Though I think one of the problems you had was you weren't getting enough uh, ammo. One of the things you're yeah. supposed to do when these enemies die is stomp the shit out of them and... And basically, they turn into loot crates. Yeah, they're basically pinatas. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but is that, that's that's never really like told, signposted agreed. anywhere in the game that you're just supposed to stomp corpses. They I, literally, well, it could have been better explained, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, uh, like they tell you a lot of things right off the bat. You know, they have the immediate message: "Hey, the headshots don't work. Cut off the arms." But then no one's saying like, "Oh, and by the way, make sure you're stomping every." Uh, Jack, Dick, and Harry that you run across in the hallways too, because they they have sweet sweet loot. Um, yeah. I, either way, like eventually, once Clint told me that helped a lot. But I think for how much tuning this game went through with you know making sure you were on the edge of your seat with regards to resource management, um, I did feel like that needed to be told <laughs> to me at some point. I will say, if you go back and play the game and look at the load screen, it's the first thing that pops up. 
Oh man, you know we're playing on a 2022 oh, the rig. <laughs> like, the, the, like every every time it loads, it's like stomp the bodies if you're running. I'm like, I wasn't gonna say anything about it, but when you brought it up, I I was actively looking for it because I'm like, did they say that somewhere? Where do I? Wh- how did I learn that? Like, I was wondering. So this is a weird little like game design thing that I think should be implemented across the board. And let me know if I'm I'm totally off base here, but. If you're playing an older game, like say a uh, you know a Skyrim or, or a Morrowind or something, they do have interesting and useful stuff on those low screens. Dead Space too, but yeah. nowadays you have SSDs, and that shit flies by instantaneously. So yep. I think having a simple like press button to uh, re-enter the game or something when you finish loading on a load screen could solve this problem. But no one was thinking about that back in 2008. Back in 2008, you're like, oh, my God, I've been here for two and a half minutes and it's still loading. (laughs) Yeah. Reading the same paragraph 100 times. Yeah. 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 Things have changed a little bit. Again, this game came out 14 years ago. Things things are a little different. Um, But anyway, I I do think that that's one of the main things that they don't outright say. Everything else, like the cutting off of the limbs, they... I, I was counting those because I was wondering how many times they talked about it. They they write it in blood on the wall when you first pick up your plasma rifle. And if you miss that, um, a guy yells it to you in, a, in an audio log. And if that doesn't work, then one of the videos that you can't miss because it's the guy that you're talking to will tell it to you. So, like, some of those things are over-explained and some things are maybe not explained enough. But At, at the end of the day, like, that one was gotten across to me fine. Um, and you know, I think, like I said, this game has varying success with how it, it does those types of things, but that, the cutting off the limbs thing was, you know, strategic dismemberment is a, an unmitigated win for me, uh, for this game. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. And you guys mentioned the space zombies before I never made the connection that like you strategically dismember zombies too, just in the head. (laughs) And this is just relocating that dismemberment zone. Yeah, if you take off their heads, they're going to keep coming. Like, the game almost, like, I feel like there was, like, almost no damage done when you take off their heads. Almost as if they were trying to say, like, yeah, this isn't what this game is about. Don't bother with that. At least for the slashers, they are blind then, and they start wildly swinging around. I mean, Clint, you probably have a strategy for dealing with each enemy, having played this game annually. Yeah, I never take off the head. If they're far away from you and you take out the head, then they just start slashing and stumbling around until they find you. Can they hit each other at that point? Not sure. Interesting. It's interesting to me because they're trying to undo, like, for most players of this game, literal decades of FPS experience where you're taught yeah. to seek out the headshot. Um, uh-huh. So that, that to me was, was one sort of nice uh, inversion of, of the norm. Um, you also mentioned, Clint, that you have two main powers that you're able to use, stasis and telekinesis. Telekinesis is pretty straightforward, you know, move things around with your hands, um, pick up an enemy's arm and chuck it at them, especially helpful if it's a spiny arm. Um, yeah. But stasis to me, this is really cool. Um, I think this is interesting in that it's a bullet time effect that affects only enemies. It's bullet time located entirely in the locality of an enemy, which is cool like you can it's basically the slow spell except you know spacey (laughs) cooler than slow (laughs) right and the why that worked though is because you're trying to again strategically dismember these enemies and sometimes it you have to take a second to figure out okay i need to take off the leg here and then the arm here and then you can kind of slow it down and, and prescriptively pull off your combo or whatever and you can't use it you can't overuse it so it sounds like that might be op but it's really not because you use it here and there, you can upgrade it, obviously, but I think you get, what, two or three charges with it before you have to find new 
yeah, they, new digs or they whatever? Ha- they have recharge stations around, but to my mind, it wasn't enough. I feel like they have those, yeah, it. I barely use stasis in day-to-day combat because um, I, I was saving it for special occasions. Um, oh, I, it's my, you know, a little bit of a get out of jail free card, but that would mean I'd never try to use it. And oh, I took half damage from, uh, I, like I lost half my health with this encounter, but well, I saved that stasis around. I feel that if stasis was a recharging power, like you get um, two or three uses of it per five minute block or something like that, then I would have used it because as a gamer, I would, I'm not trying to hoard that resource. I'm like, well, it's filled up now, so I've got to use it. Otherwise, it's just sitting there being wasted. So a couple things. This doesn't help at all for Dead Space 1. Again, it was groundbreaking at the time, but Dead Space 2 did two things that I think really pushed this forward. Actually, three things. In the first game, Plasma Cutter was, I felt, the main thing, right? They made every gun useful and and, uh, and impactful in Dead Space 2. But uh, Stasis is a rechargeable. It recharges over time, exactly like you just mentioned. And then the Kinesis, that felt like they amped it up a thousand times over. Like you could you could throw their, I guess, what do you call it? Their, their blades back at them and basically pin them to the walls with them. It, it felt so much more impactful and uh, and deadly in Dead Space 2. I, I feel like that was maybe a miss. But again, for all the things that they did groundbreaking, like you, you can't expect the world of them all in one shot. They had to learn some lessons and, and try it again. And that's exactly the thing is, you know, from, from what I understand, like Dead Space 2 is, is probably like unequivocally the superior game <laughs> like pretty much ah. everything i've read says like what dead space does well dead space 2 does more of and and generally better like it's an action horror game it's more actiony um it has slightly tighter mechanics but you you have a better perspective on this than me i literally have played both way too many times but i think the the set and setting of the first one is superior hmm. by far interesting so um i mean that's the one we're talking about so i'm glad to hear that um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, I thought these two powers were interesting. It took a little bit of time for me to get used to this, honestly. Like, um, I had controls is something I wanted to talk about because this game sort of has three different control modes for my mind. You have like just you walking around, you have the aiming mode where you're either using your gun or stasis or kinesis. And then you have the the menu mode, which you can also walk around during. And like this sort of three different modes that you can play in, like took a little getting used to. And I think it was a concession for them wanting to like make sure everything can happen within this fully diegetic UI. But once I got used to it, I was pretty impressed with it. And I, I think if there was just a little less friction with learning it, it would have been like masterclass. As it exists, it's super interesting and ends up on the side of good. But I struggled with it at the beginning, just personally. I'd agree with that. Uh, at the very beginning, like I was trying to figure out how much ammo does my gun have? Mm-hmm. And... There wasn't, you know, I learned eventually, oh, this is how you figure it out. But um, there was that confusion at the very beginning. Um, And maybe it was explained on a loading screen that just flashed (laughs) by really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a bold step they did, a bold decision they did to do that. And it worked out really well, um, especially as once you get used to it. Uh, But there is that initial moment of confusion. Hellblade had the same problem, Brian. I don't know if you remember, but um, Hellblade is one of the more recent games that we played that I felt like went for no UI. And and one of the things that you had to watch for was, I think she had a mirror or something that she held on her belt, and it kind of like 
showed how many charges of her power she had. I can't remember how this went. Either way, I didn't notice it at first either, but you're right. Me having played this game 14 times at least, um, I know how the systems work now, so I enjoy it very much, but I guess I don't remember what it was like playing it for the first time and if I had those frustrations too, but I'm sure I did. Long term, the no UI is a really cool touch. Short term, I guess it can be a little frustrating. Well, it's something you just need to to learn a bit. And like nowadays, I think you would have a little bit more tutorialization around that or something for better or for worse. But um, I think it's absolutely like, you know, Josh, as you said, it, it's something that was worth doing, you know, like for whatever frustrations it may have caused. It also ended up being one of the most interesting things about the experience for me. So leave that where it is, I guess. One other thing that I thought was interesting about this game that I totally did not remember is how deep you could get into customizing the various weapons that you got. Um, you know, I mentioned upgrading the plasma cutter earlier and that being basically a ticket to using that solely for the entire game, but you were collecting power cores throughout this that allow you to customize both your various weapons and your rig, um, which is a kind of a sophisticated system for a horror shooter game, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little unexpected. Yeah, it almost works out like talent trees in an RPG and mm -hmm. to the point where you can like almost like there's multiple paths to get what you want and you can kind of make your way through that. And again, you're, it's a trade-off. Do I want to do more damage? Do I want to reload faster? Do I want to have more 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 ammo in the clip so that I don't have to be reloading? Do I need more HP? So you can almost tailor it to what you're having trouble with. For me, HP and uh, pro tip, you want HP and, and, and you want as much damage on your plasma cutter as possible, and then everything else is secondary. But that's just my opinion. That's good. That's basically what I did. I mean, more damage yeah. to me meant less bullets being used. And since bullets were at a premium, like, yeah, this is obvious. Two things that I didn't like about the upgrade system, and I'm kind of rolling the shop system in with the upgrade system. Uh, first, minor nit is that there were places, little hit, locked off rooms, where you'd have to spend a power node in order to get into it, give you a little bit of ammo and some story. I don't like games that block, that make me choose between progression and like um, becoming more powerful in story. Um, and the other thing, which I think is maybe the more um, more serious critique, is that the weapons you would have to buy them at the store, um, and I didn't use most of the weapons because. I wanted to make myself more powerful by power nodes instead of trying out these new weapons. If they gave you the weapon with like two or three ammo so you could see what it does and then you choose whether you want to upgrade it and keep using it or not, um, then that would have been, I think, a better system. But like the Ripper, um, I think the four weapons that I used were the plasma cutter, the rifle, the line gun, and the contact beam. Um, and I didn't even know what the contact beam was going to do when I bought it because those other ones you can kind of guess, but like contact beam, I don't know, lasers maybe. <laughs> uh, so I feel like it made you dive in without knowing what it was going to be or if you'd like the weapon. You had to do a serious commitment of resources. Yeah, the, the degenerative game player strategy for this, uh, which I employed, was buy it, test it out, see if it was worth keeping, and then reload if it wasn't. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, I do think this is interesting in that you're really, I think, only meant to choose two or three weapons and stick with them and not hoover them all up Doomguy style, you know? 
Correct. It actually hurts you if you do the other one. So the game has this system that they don't talk about at all, of course, but it's part of the system here. Basically, it's to get you as close to running out of ammo without you running out of ammo. And part of that is they give you more ammo for the types of guns that you own. So it's better off to not buy weapons you're not going to use than to buy them at all. Um, which is, again, why I do plasma cutter only runs, because I know it's not going to be just plasma ammo, but it'll be mostly plasma ammo. But if you're buying other things, those things pop up more often. And Josh, I think I know exactly which room you're talking about. There's a room in medical that's right by a bench, and you um, put a power node in there, and, and you get an audio log. I think that's <laughs> the only that's the only room where they lock story behind a power node door, by the way. It's the one one I chose to do that. I'm like, oh, let's see, let's see what's behind this door. Oh, those fuckers are hiding story behind here. <laughs> I think it's. I'm pretty sure that's the only one in the whole game because that is the one you're talking about, right? I'm pretty sure, yeah. right by the giant MRI machine. Yeah. See, again, I played this game way too many freaking times. <laughs> <laughs> I played this game three times just for this cast alone, um, <laughs> co- completing uh, completing a thousand gamer gamer score on Xbox and getting the platinum on PS3. Dang, son. Too much. Well, then maybe Clint, you can. T- uh use some of that expertise to tell us a bit about the enemies you're facing here, right? So um, there is a variety in this game. I think you, you know, you have your basic guys, your your babies with tentacles, your... Creepy babies, yeah. Yeah, your, <laughs> um, your hulks, your exploding dudes. Um, uh, yeah. Actually, I think the exploding dudes are, are the worst ones because you never know what's going to come out of them. I think they're called pregnants. Um, they look like... <laughs> Basically, oh, I know the you th- one you're talking about the ones that have the little guys that come out of them. Yeah, I hate sometimes, those guys. and you ne- and you never know if if they're gonna do it or not. And I don't still after 14 playthroughs or more, don't know an effective way of keeping them from from doing that. I think I figured this one out actually. Is if you if you don't hit the body at all and you just get rid of the limbs, the little guys stay inside. But if you hit the body uh, at all, it comes out. So yeah, and we're, what we're talking about are these enemies that. Um, Think like a bloater from like Left 4 Dead. It's a big fat guy. Um, they have like tons of little bugs in them, and the bugs, as soon as the body is hit, will rush towards you, and your character has to like you have to rapidly tap A to shake them off or whatever. This was just an automatic health tax if if it happened to you. Like there was basically no good way of either conserving ammo and getting rid of them or conserving health. You had to choose one or the other. Pulse rifle. That's how you deal with these guys. Yeah, pretty but then much. You're using ammo, so my point stands. Yeah. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's pulse pulse rifle or, or flamethrower. This was the hardest part about the one gun run is when you ran into those things. Generally speaking, though, when you run into these things, as you'll look around the environment, there'll almost always be an exploding canister somewhere nearby. Oh yeah. That's 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 the ticket. I found the secondary fire function on pulse rifle or the contact beam was a good area of effect thing that got rid of these guys pretty effectively. Nice. Yeah. The telekinesis, that's one thing we forgot to mention with telekinesis is throwing those exploding canisters is probably the most fun thing you can do um, to get rid of enemies. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Reminded me of the gravity gun from... um, Half-Life 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. I almost thought it was overused a little bit. Like, um, speaking about that medical bay, the MRA, the second time you're going through there in Chapter 5, there's that, uh, I forget the enemy name, I think it's Guardian, maybe, but the big guy that's stuck on the wall. Mm, I hate those guys. those guys. Yeah, the tripod-looking things. Yeah, Yeah, uh, the first time you meet this guy, the encounter's a little bit, um, I don't know, a little bit... uh, 
undone because there's a big exploding barrel you can just chuck at him and finish it off right away i mean it was a fun thing to do but at the same time like as far as introducing an enemy not the best not the best way to do it i think you don't get the full effect of it those guys were a huge ammo sink for me because you you know they have multiple tendrils that like stick to the walls and like sustain them so you and they stick out diagonally and you're like Damn you, diagonal limb. <laughs> I can only turn the plasma cutter horizontal or upwards. What are you doing to me? Exactly. Uh, there, There is one gun. It's called the force gun that pretty much takes these things out in one shot. But again, that's it's yeah, most. Yeah, I would have known that if I got to use a force gun at any point in the game. I think we're definitely uncovering some of this game's like uh, areas where like its interesting systems don't necessarily play well together. Um, which, you know, I mean, this is an earlier time for game design, so we can afford it some. It was a first run, man. And they did so many innovative things. It can't all land perfect. And I think all the I think they could have just designed this game with one gun and left it at that. Speaking of things that don't land perfect, I think the most infuriating thing that this game did way more than it needed to to me was quarantines. <laughs> Motherfucker, the whole damn place is contaminated. Why are we quarantining me now? <laughs> because it's inconvenient for you, and that makes more sense for level yeah, design. So it, it, you're absolutely right. It, it really was just like, let's lock you in with way too many dudes and way too little ammo with no warning and no health. Um, and it just, it this is what made me the most cranky about this game while I was playing it. Um, but, you know... <sighs> after a little while and sort of understanding like if I could go back and like prepare a little bit or something like that, like, yeah, I was able to get around it, but it just, I don't know if it, if I suck at this game or if I wasn't like reading the the writing on the wall that all of a sudden I was going to be locked in a room with way too many monsters or what, but I did not enjoy that aspect. <laughs> I don't think they normally signpost the quarantines. There's a couple of occasions where they do. Um, but in general, they trap you in there unexpectedly. To ratchet up the tension. And ratchet it did. (laughs) (laughs) And not to again bring up sequels, but there's a couple different parts in the sequel that they they purposefully do this to you as a joke. And then they don't put any enemies in there like, ah, gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) there, There was one time early on where it was a decontamination room. And I thought that was pretty funny because at the end they like flashed up a sign that said, thank you for cooperating. And it's like, <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, if that's what I just did, sure. Um, but no, I- there was a time on the bridge too, where the um, there's like an alien in the escape pod and he's struggling to get out and your buddy just launches him into space. It's like, okay, don't have to worry about that guy anymore. Yeah. Oh, wait, you didn't finish the game, did slight, you? Slight, slight foreshadowing there. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I got to chapter six, so I got about halfway done with it. It's an important part of chapter nine, I got to be honest. Yeah, let's, let's put up the spoiler <laughs> alert right now that. and talk about this, because I thought that was a really um, elegant, like, little bit of foreshadowing, because as you, eventually, what happens is there is a military ship that comes to rescue the Ishimura, and they pick up that escape pod that you just mentioned, Josh, and <laughs> let's just say, as you enter that chapter, you are sending a, or someone on your crew, Kendra, is sending a panicked message saying, don't open the escape pod, don't open the escape pod. Guess what they did? Um, they opened the escape oh, pod. <laughs> and that, that whole yeah. ship is pretty much fucked by the time it, it reaches you. So, And it's a bunch of mil- powered up military dudes that are now necromorphs, which is a fun and cool 
reason to to explain why now there are suddenly much stronger necromorphs on board. Yeah, no, it, it, it really was like a pretty deft way for them to find a, a way to introduce a new enemy all of a sudden. Um, but um, it was it was a cool chapter, like getting to a new ship. And I, I liked that aspect of this. And maybe while we're, we're on the topic, we should talk a little bit about the story a bit more because, you know, we've talked a ton about the mechanics that are present in this game. But um, it does have um, a story that I think it ebbs and flows with how well it does its own sort of pacing and storytelling, but it's interesting. And I think more so than the story and the plot of this game being interesting, the world that it's in is interesting. Um, you know, as you mentioned up top, Clint, it has sort of this earth hellscape corporate dystopia aspect. Then it has this weird unitology religion, um, which is sort of weirdly for my money in this game backgrounded, but, um, because I think it's one of the more interesting things about the whole game. <laughs> but um, I don't know. What did you guys think of the story? I, I thought it was uh, a great world with a story that was kind of poorly told. I think they did a thing where they almost drop you into it and kind of just let you draw your own conclusions. They don't really flesh it out until... You, you saw how this goes. There's like five games in multiple Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. movies, anime, whatever. They built this out after world, afterwards, like you said, with, with Halo. But in this game particularly, they do not hold your hand. They kind of just drop you right in the middle. And I think they leave it vague on purpose a little bit, at least in the first title. But yeah, there's a lot going on here, and I think it could have... I think it could have stood to be explained a little bit more. There's... I guess there's two things that we're trying to talk about at once here, and maybe, maybe I'll just... I want to put a fine point on, like, what's going on. There is... To, to my mind, there's two things happening. There's the immediate plot of the game, which is the cascading failures going on in the Ishimura that Isaac is sort of running around putting out fires for and trying to save himself and the rest of his team. And then there's like the whole background where there's uh, evidence of an alien civilization called the Marker found on Earth that causes a religion to be founded that causes them to eventually infiltrate the crew of the Ishimura big spoiler alert right there it's basically the the hinging plot reveal of the game and what you're doing out uh, with on the Ishimura is the crew of the Ishimura is trying to get to the original or they're trying to bring the marker to its place of origin yes so that Something can happen. Clint, help. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're, we're close. We're close. Basically, Unitology thinks this is a this is a, um, a a religious artifact, and what it really is is fucking everybody's life up. It's turning these people into necromorphs and, and causing these massive problems. And then, of course, there's the government. Again, they don't explain this too much. I think they explain more about Unitology in this one than they explain about any of the other factions. Mm-hmm. That all gets massively explained, explained throughout the rest of the series. But I don't really think it hurts by not fully knowing what's going on with the cult. Cult is bad. Alien stuff is bad. That's all you need to know for this one, basically. I, I agree with you that it's, like, not super well explained in this game, but I, I try to at least, like, you know, look into, like, what is present on the page for this game and and what is there. And, and from what I could piece together from both my own uh, playing the game and from some YouTube deep dives is um, Unitology, basically Altman, uh, I don't remember Altman's first name, but he was sort of the original prophet. He was apparently an unwitting prophet. Um, and he, per the Dead Space novel, is a, a space martyr. He was a whistleblower, um, and his whistleblow became the prophecy that Unitology was founded on. After that, it became popular with industrial poor people, um, and only people at high level knows it's the truth. It's a religion that doesn't promise unity in spirit, but instead... Um, 
it promises unity in their bodies being subsumed by an all-consuming mass of alien flesh. <laughs> yeah. And this is, I think, what like took it to the next level. In no zombie game ever has there, that I remember, has there been the dude that's like, let him eat us. This is, this <laughs> right. is what God wants. But in this game, you never really knew. Okay, so you're right. There's cascading failures. And you don't, obviously, the, the ship is old. Some of it's broke. Yeah. And then there's this catastrophic catastrophic event problem yeah. mm-hmm. right but but clearly there's other people at work here because everything is breaking so it's, there's sabotage going on too and you have to figure out well who are these factions breaking down the ship and why are they doing it turns out you've got one guy that's breaking the ship down because he wants to crash this thing into the planet because he needs this to all go away because he realizes how bad this is you have other people that are trying to help the virus spread essentially because they believe it's a religious thing and you're just caught in the middle like can i get this fucking ship back into orbit so i can find my dead girlfriend who might not be dead but probably dead actually isaac isaac probably shot her as soon as he got on the ship she was probably the first necromorph waiting on the dock we don't know (laughs) you may be right and and we should mention that that up top at this in the later chapters of this game, uh, you know, Josh, sorry, spoilers are, are in play here. Ooh, but oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, uh, to my mind, th- there's some a little bit of inc- incongruity going on with, with what's going on in the story. But um, Isaac is sort of becoming an unreliable narrator. He's being tricked by sort of his uh, uh, an illusion of his girlfriend, Nicole, who he still thinks is alive. Spoiler alert, she's not. She was dead the whole time. Um, and it's revealed that... Uh, in a video, he either refused to acknowledge or ignored the fact that she killed herself on screen, like at the very beginning of the game. Um, it, that didn't work super well for me. I didn't really quite understand by like, oh, and there was five extra seconds of the YouTube video you didn't watch. <laughs> they they just, delve into yeah. this deeply. Like, this is most of the subject of the rest of the entire series, just oh, so you okay. know. So it's like his, his dementia is explored a little bit a bit more. A lot more. I started Dead Space 2. I played like maybe a half hour of it. And yeah, it was very clear that he was like institutionalized and like, you know, all of that. Do you remember how everybody said that they were seeing things? Like every time you read an audio log about like things that were going on the surface and they found the marker, people would be seeing things. It would be massive hallucinations, all these problems. Kendra even said, I saw my dead brother. That's not possible. Like all these, the marker causes these problems and... Hmm. What's happening in the background is the marker is almost trying to use Isaac as its pawn. He was the one, for some reason, trying to get it back to the planet, which was exactly what the hive mind wanted. And then when it started taking it away, of course, it used him as a way to get rid of... Basically, at the end of the game, you don't even know, was I doing something that was important or was I just doing what the hive mind wanted me to do? I think it was sort of just like... uh you doing the thing that would cause the most possible destruction, <laughs> you know, like clearly there is um, a, a want from whatever the marker is or the force behind it to get the marker back onto the planet. But at the same time, like, then why was it fighting you? Um, and, you know, like if this was part of your, this, this happens in media all the time. This isn't unique to dead space, but if your plan, your grandmaster plan hinged on me being in a place at a time, why are you sending armed goons to try and shoot me? Um, you know, this happens a lot. But um, in this game, like it, it, it didn't take away from like the overall enjoyment I had. I've already talked about the things I like about this game, but this sort of sort of ham-fisted storytelling at the end here was either incongruous, poorly written, or just not explained well enough for me, and it just didn't rub me the right way. Fair enough. I I don't know if they use the rest of the series to 
retcon it or if they had this in mind the whole time. But either way, yeah, a lot is revealed in the final chapter. and But that's very survival horror, too. Yeah, you can get away with a lot of stuff with an unreliable narrator, right? Like, everything's yeah. kind of off the table at that point. And um, that in itself is a bit unsatisfying. But at the same time, like... I get where they're going. You know, not everything has to be explained to a T. It's kind of boring when it is. See the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, and I've got to be honest. Any anytime you're looking for a nice, pretty bow wrap up in <laughs> in 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 either sci-fi or sci-fi survival horror, I think that you're you're going to be disappointed because it's always going to be ambiguous at the end. So jumping in as someone who made it halfway through the game. Um, I will say that in terms of signs of unreliable narrator, I think I've seen one video from Nicole, who is apparently dead. That's fine. <laughs> um, but like I've, we've seen one video from her, and they've definitely hinted at the kind of madness that the marker causes with all of the NPC scenes that show up throughout the game, too. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like... Maybe what what we're getting at, Josh, is like, is this signposted early on? And and I, or mm-hmm. it is to me. Like I I pretty much clocked right away that oh something's weird with Nicole. I think she's probably not alive anymore. Like that that was a foregone conclusion for me. No one on the ship is going to come out alive. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's a survival horror, right? You do see some people who are alive, so it kind of gives you hope a little bit. Now, granted, they always die when you show up. I was going to say that that was another funny thing to me. It's like these guys have been alive for like an untold number of hours, and then all of a sudden, right as I show up, they become extremely bad at staying alive. (laughs) (laughs) You were talking about some of the kind of narrative stuff about how this madness shows up and, oh, Nicole was actually dead the whole time. I'm wondering, did they really like step on the gas with those weird scenes that would show up or the unreliable narrator kind of things like yes ish kendra kept alluding to the fact that she kept seeing things everybody kept talking about how they were seeing hallucinations and they were pretty sure that it was impossible they do it throughout the whole game and they don't really ever point to the fact that you are having these problems too you just assume everything you see is fine um, so you actually see Nicole face to face one time. Yeah. So I have a couple things here. Um, one, we, we mentioned a couple characters that I want to just clear up real quick. Kendra, she's part of your crew. She eventually betrays you. Um, I like this, by the way. They yeah. they make you think it's the other guy the whole time. They're subverting the fact. They make you think it's, it's uh, I don't remember his name. Yeah, He's in a guy, lot of Hammond. things. The other guy being Hammond, the captain of yeah. your, your crew. He's very severe. He also gets killed. Um. Hammond's a baller. He's he's the best dude in the crew, but they make you think the whole time that he is Mr. Corporate Man that's trying to hide everything. Turns out Kendra's a bitch, and she's been lying to you the whole time, and Hammond's actually your homie. Yeah, Hammond, Hammond is just trying to – he's in the same boat as you. He's just trying to get a job done. But um, he gets got immediately in probably one of the more <laughs> – In the worst way. One of the more brutal death scenes of any video game I've ever seen. Like we didn't we skipped over this i have it in the notes to talk about the gore but this game is really gory like this is the type of game like your mom's gonna hate and i think it actually had an ad campaign based on that your mom will that's, hate this game <laughs> that's what dead space 2 whole whole ad campaign was and and they had videos of people's moms watching this and they'd be like why would you make this i mean that was basically it l- let's talk about the gore for a little bit because i think this board goes between like extremely disturbing and absolutely hilarious um because sometimes when you get hit or killed in this game, you will get an extremely 
bespoke death animation where like the exact body part that they got you on will just sort of explode like a crash test dummy or something. Like, Josh, do you remember playing in Baldur's Gate when you got a critical hit with Minsk and the enemies just exploded in a shower of body parts? Like, that to me happens fairly frequently in this game. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what do you expect? It's a game whose core mechanic is epic dismemberment. Why did you think that they would stop that with the enemies? You obviously have to suffer the same fate here. No, this is true. This is true. I mean, I'm not bringing any different expectations in. I just want to call out the fact that... um, it's a gory game. <laughs> yeah, poor Hammond gets his plus some. I wish Kendra had gotten more and he'd gotten less, but that's all right. Fair enough. I mean, she gets she gets so, it pretty bad, too, uh, at the yeah. end there. She gets smeared. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you're talking about, like, kind of unintentionally hilarious moments. Um, I think there's sometimes when you have a horror game and the horror bit of it works against the game bit of it. Um one of the moments I remember in this game is the um, the ranged enemy that it was a creepy baby that had the three tentacles that came out and uh, like shot poison at you or whatever. The first time they introduce this enemy, you find a surviving crewmate inside this locked quarantine room. And there's this whole scene where the guy's like, thank God you're alive. Come, you know, I, I need some help. Come, come save me. And then the monster attacks him and there's a very, very gory death scene. And that's a horror bit. And the game bit about it is that after that, you turn to the ride and you're like, oh, look, I found 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that baby was holding cash. <laughs> yeah. Who gave that baby plasma cutter ammo? <laughs> um, but also you, you drop kick the baby. If, if they grab onto you and you have to do the emergency animation, you basically drop kick a baby across the room. And it's, Let's be clear. It doesn't look like a baby. It looks like a uh, football with a demonic scowl with three <laughs> tentacles sticking out of its head. Um, you know, we're not we're not sadists here. Um, <laughs> but um, clearly some of these necromorphs are. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, honestly, like there, there's so much interesting stuff going on with this game. And I think a lot of opinions in video games in general tend toward hyperbole. Oh, this is the best game ever. Oh, this is the worst game ever. I think this game for me lands very clearly in like, yeah, it's pretty good. It did some really neat stuff, but there were also some parts that were quite poorly executed. I, I, I would counter that if you played this game in its time, you're coming to this 14 years after the fact when multiple games have been able to learn from the lessons that it put forward and do it better. Mm. I think for its time, this game was... Pretty good, yeah. And and you're Very. right. I think if there's one thing that is improved in video games in the last you know decade and a half, it's writing. You know the importance of writing, the importance of like having something that underlines the action that you're doing. And um, this game can benefit from that. So maybe one of the things I'm looking forward to in the next iteration. No, I kind of agree with that. Is that this game was very innovative for its time. Um, but maybe a lot of the things that you've seen, you've seen elsewhere as well. Um, and that's one of the, always one of the risks about going back and playing an, an older game for the first time years later is that game designers have learned things since then. There's been trends that have caught on. There's There have been trends that have not. Um, but this game is an interesting time capsule going back and playing it to see what 2008 was like in terms of the cutting edge AAA game. I have to agree. I mean, I, I like 
and I think there are still some things in here that like haven't been done better or at least haven't been done like significantly better I mean it's a pretty it's a it's a remarkable game in some regards especially with some of the UI stuff we've talked about um, but oh one thing I want to make sure we hit is another thing that I think this game does better than almost any any of them out there is sound design um, it is top-notch like I think some of the um one like when you are immediately getting into a fight how much it ratchets up the tension is incredible two they have a lot of anti-grav sequences and sequences in the vacuum of space where they drop out all of the sound and just let you hear the vibrations that you would hear if you were inside of say a spacesuit um it's just masterfully done and I think um you know say what you want about like things in their time I think this is still excellent by today's standards huh. 100%. And I guess one thing we didn't mention about combat that actually plays into the audio design is the fact that this... We mentioned this was like Alien earlier. This is very much like that, too. You can directly interact with the enemies, and then they can rush off into the vents, and then you don't know where the hell they are, and they can pop out anywhere at any time. It's not like they have to come down a corridor at you. They could be popping out of the ceiling, the side of the wall, whatever. And the game plays with that a lot. There's always some clanging or banging going on. You're like, is that one of them doing that? Or is that just background noise? Or what's going on here? It keeps you guessing all the time. And it's never, it never takes the brakes off. No. I really like that about this game. Uh, the vent kind of system they did. Like I remember early on, uh, you know, big combat scene. I think it was in the medical wing. There's the double level thing where you have to go down in the elevator and um, then you get ambushed. So I thought, oh, haha, I will trigger the ambush and run back up the elevator. And the guys followed me back up. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Oops. I'm with this. I'm with this. Um, but yeah, um, it solves the door problem of shooters where it removes that element of player movement. It doesn't remove it, but it um, it doesn't let you put them into a kill zone quite so easily when they always have a virtually unlimited mobility. They can always appear behind you or above you or something else. And that was a really, really cool part of the game. Yeah, Generally speaking, if you, your best case scenario is when you can see them. So if you try to outsmart the game like that, they will punish you for it and be like, oh, cool. Well, now they're behind you. Good <laughs> luck with that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Let me just turn around really slowly. <laughs> I, I think there's one other thing that like I think worked a little bit against this game in my book was the various puzzles that you have to contend with, whether that be moving things around to telekinesis, freezing, freezing things in space with stasis, and then, you know, uh, running across them or through them, you know, stopping propeller blades or, or what have you. Um, some of this is fun and interesting and novel in the first time it was done. But by the time I was navigating the cart with the marker through the uh, the colony on chapter 12, like some of those puzzle sequences were just interminably boring. <laughs> like I think they, they had two really good tricks or two or three really good tricks for puzzling and they ran out of ideas with them fairly quickly, unfortunately. I feel like chapter 12, you didn't really need those either. I will be honest. Chapter 12 was a intense ending combat sequence and everything else was fluff. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. We got to go do the kinesis thing on the, on the like yeah. five times. It's like, yeah, yo, I get it. <laughs> See, I, 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 was, I was slamming the I get it button. You know, I, I, I want to use my I get it button in many games we play. But this was an especially I get it button moment. Luckily, chapter 12 is generally short. Like it's intense, but it's short like that. 
having played through it too many times recently, I can tell you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's what, f- 15, 20 minutes tops the whole way through, and there's a couple... If, if you know exactly what you're doing and you, you know, can dispatch the enemies <laughs> quickly enough, but, like, I feel like this is one of those games where, like, it felt like the game was really insecure about letting you have a moment of fucking peace. Like, <laughs> you made a really nice atmospheric location and setting. Can you please give me like five minutes without a combat sequence or a puzzle that I need to contend with to enjoy it? And the answer for this game is no. You know, you will Glenn says no. Of peace. <laughs> <laughs> it's and, like you can rest when the credits roll, maybe. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And like to my mind, like all of what we've been talking about kind of boils down to that. It's just like the game wants you on the edge of your seat at all times, sometimes to its own detriment. You know, one interesting thing that just from our kind of like our own conversations around this game and our uh, chats and all that, um, I feel like for both me and Brian, we put more time into this game than maybe we first expected. Like I just looked up how long to beat and this game clocks in at 11 hours. Mm. I put eight hours into this game and I'm halfway through it. Like how about you, Brian? Um, so, uh, yeah, as you said, like, I, I think my, my game playtime is, is at something like 11 hours, but my actual, like, in-game time in Dead Space, the game, is 16 hours. So I just died a wow. lot. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I just completed an impossible run in six hours and 15 minutes. Right. So, but this is you coming from, yeah, you know, but you, but I know it every like, year. I know it inside and out. I know what to do. Yeah. This is me playing dark souls one. Like I get it. You know, we have, our, yeah. we, we all have our own games that we can just sort of like blast through and they resonate with us in a very specific way. And I think there's honestly like a lot of really interesting parallels to draw between dead space and dark souls one. Cause there's a lot of like untold things that you're rewarded for looking into like the lore and background of this game. There's mechanics that are unexplained, maybe not to the level of dark souls unexplained, but they are there and it rewards mastery. And it was a mastery that was hard won for me, but at the end of the day, I'm kind of glad I made my way through it and did it. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. I'm glad you brought up that perspective because this, that was one of the reasons I joined the cast was because I wanted you to make me play games like that. So I'm glad now I'm making you play my game. That's like that. Yeah, no, I think I think this game, like, I think it is going to improve my perspective on, you know, playing shooters and horror games and action horrors and action shooters, you know, everything that this game does going forward. And uh, for that, I'll be I'll be glad that I've done this. And for this year, that's going to be super relevant because that's what you're, we're getting, we're getting, this is the comeback tour this year. This is, this is the, uh, the Dead Space-esque, uh, or Dead Space-like comeback tour. We've got basically three yep. Space Station horror games coming out over the next six months. <laughs> and one of them actually is Dead Space, and the other one is one that is made by Glenn Schofield and might as well be Dead Space 4, so. Well. Space Dead. Space Dead. Yeah. By the way, get a better name. Come on, Dead Space. You can do better than that. <laughs> it's simple, but maybe too simple. Um, naming things is hard. Naming things is hard. They put all their they put all their effort into other things. See, uh, that's true. Yeah, push effort where it counts. Wait, hang on, hang on. Dead Space versus Dark Souls. All right, all right. He's got you there, Brian. <laughs> no, no, no. Dark, Dark, Dark Souls is clearly like a, a bad a bad name. Uh, I don't think I, I feel no need to defend that. Um, it was going to be Dark Race. 
and they had to change it because Ooh. obviously that did not translate well. <laughs> yes. Sorry, guys. I don't, I don't know what that sounds like in Japanese, but we're glad you changed it. That yes. would have had a fandom with the wrong people, and that's it. Don't worry. Those people are still in that fandom. <laughs> Let's dissect this game with a three-word review. Uh, very well done. All right. My three-word review is uneven atmospheric action. If it wasn't clear yet, from my perspective, Dead Space achieved varying levels of success in what it set out to do. On one hand, it provides a strong homage to Alien and other sci-fi uh, classics creating a compelling corporate dystopia and a captivating aesthetic that really puts you into the shoes of an engineer in a desperate situation far from home. But instead of letting you soak in that atmosphere, the game positively bombards you with enemies and frequently locks you into repetitive combat or puzzling situations. And while the background, setting, and lore for the game was compelling, the actual plot was told in such an oddly paced way that it struggled to land even for a lorehound like myself. And yet, by the saving grace of its environmental storytelling, sound design, and atmosphere, Dead Space managed to be quite a remarkable game for its time, and something worth seeing even today. It pissed me off as much as it delighted me, but above all, it just felt a little uneven in its delivery. This is the first game in a while that I've played and come away thinking that could absolutely benefit from a remake, so I'm looking forward to this concept's next iteration in 2023. My three-word review is... Action Trapped Adventure. This was my first time playing any of the Dead Space series, and I felt like the horror element ended up to be more superficial than I was expecting. It felt more like a theme or an atmosphere rather than a genre. This game is an action game, as nearly all scenarios had you responding with guns and shooting. There were no alternative routes outside of combat, and escape was often prevented by the quarantine system. The game had a very strong start, and I really liked the slow turning and aiming of our non-combatant engineer Isaac. It wonderfully added to the tension. However, by chapter 3 or 4, I felt like I was repeating the same combat scenarios in slightly rejiggered configurations. With the wonderful exception of the Hunter in Chapter 5, the enemies felt like variations on a theme. The repetitions drained the atmosphere's power. Instead of triggering panic, the jump scares started to trigger my guns reflexively. I enjoyed the time I spent with the game, but I felt like it could have been better if it wasn't so intent on being an action-packed experience. Alright, my three-word review is Epic Tier Engineer. So it might be pretty obvious after this conversation that Dead Space is among my all-time favorite games. And in fact, if I really had to come up with a top five, it would probably be in there too. Um, yes, I like sci-fi, and yes, I like survival horror, but what sets this game apart from the rest of those probably has more to do with what it isn't than what it is. So for years, survival horror genre utilized subpar game mechanics like fixed camera angles or nerf movement to control the setting and increase tension. And while that effectively worked to create a feeling of helplessness and horror, the act of actually playing those games was often a chore. Um, and revered as they may be, just try going back and playing almost any of those Resident Evil games, and you'll see what I'm talking about. There's definitely a reason that they're modernizing all this right now. So, 
Even with the massive success of RE4 like looming like just a couple years before this, Dead Space decided to break the mold and do something entirely unique rather than copying the tried and true format. It essentially proved that you could create a terrifying experience even when the player has full control over the camera and the character. And the setting and world building in my mind was pretty superb and the combat system is one of the most impactful and innovative that I've seen to this day still. So instead of your standard uh, shoot them till they go down approach like we talked about, Dead Space introduced a system where you literally have to rip your enemies apart limb from limb as they ran, crawled, or scraped their way over to rip you to pieces. It was dynamic, exhilarating, and it was pretty groundbreaking, especially for the time. So if you've been paying much attention to the video game lineup that's heading our way over the next year, you'll notice that survival horror is having a huge resurgence. And to my mind, Resident Evil 4 and Dead Space are probably the cornerstones of the modern uh, survival horror genre. And much of what we enjoy today has a lot to do with the innovations that those games brought to the table then. So if you haven't played it, don't let the fact that Dead Space is old enough to have a learner's permit keep you from giving it a shot. It was <laughs> it was awesome then, it's awesome now, and I think it's a pretty groundbreaking experience whose impact can still be felt all the way from 2008. I agree with that. I'm glad I played this game. Agreed. I'm glad to like have the, the industry perspective from you know um, something that was clearly a trendsetter. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks for, for bringing this to us, Clint. It was a, a well-chosen game. Absolutely. I'm just glad I made you play. I made you play my Dark Souls. I guess that's how I that. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, thank you for joining us on the uh, journey of our favorite haunted house handyman, Isaac Clark. And um, we want to say thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. If you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on dissecting. I wasn't expecting everybody to love it because to be honest, if a game was good and it came out 14 years ago and other people are copying it, then other people have done it better. Yeah, yeah. I Multiple mean, times over. Like you The Seinfeld you, problem. Yeah, you've already reaped the benefits of of, of the of the uh, I guess the ground that this game laid. And I guess that's probably why I have a deeper appreciation cuz I think I did play this pretty close to when it came out. I think for me a big difference was coming at the game expecting more of a first-person shooter style kind of thing, like more action-y kind of stuff. Um, I knew it was supposed to be a horror kind of thing, but um, I just learned that this game came from the System Shock 2 games, which is, I don't know, easy top 50 game for me uh, through my life. I mean, top 50 doesn't sound like much, but I've played a damn lot of games so <laughs> no I'm gonna I, count that for something i put this on my top five that was that was a stake in the ground right there i haven't played system shock 2 by the way but i did i did kickstart their campaign for the for the one that they've been remaking for the last i feel like 10 years <laughs> hey clint i'm remaking it too send me 50 bucks <laughs> I'll, okay <laughs> i'll get just as much out of that as i did out of the last one because it's still not here <laughs>